Well, we are loving getting into this party, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and we are going to put one in your hand as a free gift. If you've got one, turn with me to Luke 19, and want to invite everyone to come out with us to the church picnic and baptism bash. This is going to be a great time of just having fun. This is one of my uh, favorite things we do. My kids love this, just getting to play games with other people, and there's plenty of food, so... Come on out, have a potluck dinner with us. It's going to be a great time. Also, if you've never been baptized before, this is a great time to do it. So you can just show up, talk to one of us pastors. And the bottom line is this. The Bible says that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So baptism signifies the old person, the old Robert being dead, the new and raised to walk in a new life with Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what baptism signifies. And so this is what Jesus tells us to do. He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've never been baptized, you don't have to wait for years or go through all these different steps or classes. When people came to Christ in the Bible, they were immediately baptized in it helps you start identifying with Christ. It tells the world that the old you is gone, the new one is here. So that is for everyone who's professing faith with with Jesus. And some people say, well, I was sprinkled as a kid. And so my question for them is, well, if you made that decision, because it's believer's baptism, then it counts. If, If it was done to you as a kid, then that was your parents. They were consecrating you to the Lord. They were dedicating you. But Jesus tells us, to repent and be baptized. So that's what baptism is all about. It's an f- exciting thing. People go down under the water. We scream when they come out. We celebrate what God's doing. So you don't want to miss that today down at 4 o'clock. The invitation is in your bulletin. Now, I've been hearing some great testimonies from this last week as we talked about when it's hard to party. At the end of the sermon, we prayed for some sick people, heard of some, some healing that was going on. That's so encouraging also. God had led us to give uh, thousands of dollars away, and so that was encouraging to hear different people that were just breaking down and weeping as God was meeting different needs in their lives. So we don't want to just preach the word, but we want to do the word. So jump in with me into Luke 19 this morning, and let me give you a picture that helped me really understand what Jesus was doing in this passage. I was a senior in college. And just starting to understand that I could go up and invite people into God's kingdom. And so I was in a lecture hall, maybe a little smaller than this. It was neuroscience. Neuroscience is the last place you expect something exciting to happen. I'm sitting there and and just sitting around perfect strangers. And as we approached our first test, I study better in groups. So I asked the, the people around me, hey, does anyone want to study with me? And I had a guy and a girl take me up on it. And... So after we studied that first study session, I was able to ask this gal that was in the study session with me if she had ever read the Bible. I could tell that she had kind of a a dismal look on life and, and she was living with her boyfriend at the time and certainly far from God. And so I asked her if she'd ever read the Bible. Well, she said no. And I said, well, do you, do you have a Bible? She said no. And I said, I'd love to give you one if you wanted one. And she said, yeah, of course. So I went to the bookstore, I bought her a, a copy of the Bible in the message translation. I thought, okay, this will be the easiest for her to read since she's never read it. 
And I told her, as I gave it to her, I said, no, do me a favor. As I'm giving you this book, would you just read three chapters? It'll probably take you about 15 minutes. Read the first three chapters of John. So I, I was thinking, I'm setting a Holy Spirit ambush for her. She's going to read chapter one and see that Jesus was in the beginning. She's going to see that he was the son of God. And then we're going to get to chapter three and she's going to read for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's going to be a left hook. It's going to get her. She's going to be struck and, and she's going to give her life to Christ. So I handed her that book and throughout the week I prayed for, I remember getting together for that second study session. And, you know, I was so anxious. I had been praying. I told some friends to pray. So I I tried not to be too excited. You ever had that before where you're so excited, but you're trying not to act too excited. So I was like, Hey, uh, by the way, did you, you know, happen to read those, read that book that I gave you, you know, maybe the first three chapters. And she said, yeah, I did. So, Oh my goodness. So she's got it. So I said, what did you get out of it? I'll never forget what she said. She goes, I never knew that Jesus partied and with his mom. I went, ah, oh. you know, and so first, so first I was kind of offended. I'm like, come on, this is the son of God. And, and, and then I was just disappointed thinking, I mean, this is one of the most beautiful theological treaties in the whole scripture. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. And all you get is that Jesus partied with his mom. I end up going, okay, that's nice. Well, I'm, I'm walking away and all of a sudden it hits me. Boom. That was brilliant. I thought, Jesus, you did it again. You broke into someone's irreligious life and you totally made yourself understandable to her because she was an unchurched girl who had no interest in church and a sterile observation of rules and rituals, but all of a sudden she could relate to Jesus, the son of God, because he went to a party like her. Oh my goodness. I, I realized she was intrigued by Jesus. And I started to have this paradigm shift of well, if that was how Jesus is drawing this girl in through a party, maybe I should change my strategy. And so I thought about this and thought, you know, I'm going to invite her into something. So the next week I said, hey, Sarah, I want to invite you to something. It's a lot like a dinner party. It's called our life group. And, and every week we get together and we just eat a bunch of food and we laugh and tell jokes. It's a lot of fun. And then we, we have some kind of icebreaker games. And, and then we just open the Bible and look at it and for what it says to our lives. Do you want to come? She goes, yeah, I'd love to. Couldn't believe it. Wow. So I start praying even more. I gather my life group. We start praying as a team. Lord, we ask that you'd get Sarah and just show her your love and that she'd come to know you and So she came and I watched as Sarah just loved being in our life group. And she loved the fun we were having and smiling and happy. And at the end of life group, Sarah gave her life to Jesus. You know, that day was a day of change for me because I understood that Jesus breaks into our world. He doesn't wait for us to come into his You know, the more I've studied the Gospels, the more I've realized that Jesus spent a lot of his time going to parties. Basically, if you read the book of Luke, it's like he's eating eating his way through that Gospel. Just going from one dinner to another, from one feast to another. Here's what I've realized. Jesus 
He calls one of his first disciples, Matthew, and immediately they have a party. Jesus chooses a party to do his first miracle, the wedding in Cana. Jesus ends up going to some close friend's house, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and he has a dinner party. You see Jesus going to the, the, fe- the Feast of Tabernacles. You see him going to the Passover feast. You see him going to the Feast of Dedication. Then you see Jesus talking in parables, and so often he's talking about a party. You know, Jesus loved to use parties and dinners and festivals to advance his kingdom. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series called The Parting God. I was just talking to someone earlier and they said, you know, this is just helping me understand God's heart of blessing and celebration and thinking, instead of thinking it's just about these rituals and this religion. So let's jump in to Luke 19 today. Open your party manual to Luke 19. We're going to start in verse 1. This is the story of Zacchaeus, right? You've heard some of you grew up in church, you heard Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man is he. That's so nice, guys. Way to go. Jesus, I think that's going to make a comeback this year on the Christian charts. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, let me just give you some historical background of Jericho. Jericho was not this great place. Jericho had actually been destroyed in the Old Testament for its immorality. And in fact, when it was refounded in the New Testament, it was done so by Herod the Great, not a spiritual leader, but a very worldly leader. Jericho was much more like a city like Las Vegas than some spiritual city like Jerusalem where people would do a pilgrimage to. Probably a lot of religious people said, you know, stay away from Jericho. But here's what you see Jesus doing. You see him walking right into the middle of the city. Why? I believe it's because there were people in that city that he wanted to show his love to. Jesus is motivated out of love. And I have two points today as we talk about why does Jesus love parties. And the first is this. Jesus loves to go to parties because he loves to reach people. He likes to meet people right where they are at. He likes to meet people right where they're at. So let's just keep reading this story. It says this, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being short man, he could not see because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, this is really interesting to me because when Jesus sees Zacchaeus's hunger, the first thing he, he says is not, Zacchaeus, come down. We got to go to church. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, come down. We got to go to the temple. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, come down. Come with me. We're going to go to a prayer meeting. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house today. And what happens? Zacchaeus has a dinner party. Look at the next verse. It says this, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Because Jesus jumped into Zacchaeus' world, it made Zacchaeus' heart glad. Jesus jumped right into his world. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. And he's gone to be a guest of a sinner, right? They're all bickering. And why would Jesus, the son of God, why would he go into the house of a sinner? I want to tell you that a lot of religious people aren't going to understand when we start 
befriending, when we start loving on, when we start encouraging, when we start visiting the partiers of this world. Well, why are they doing that? I thought they were Christian. I, I remember doing a series on sharing the love of Jesus with your, with your neighbors that don't know him yet. And I talked about, you know, we've got to go into the places where they're at because they're not sitting in our churches most of the time. I remember talking about this and this older gentleman came up after a, a sermon I did back in, in Texas when I was associate pastor there. And he came up to me and said, you know, I don't think this is a good message for you to preach because haven't you heard the, the term that, that bad company corrupts good morals? We need to teach our people to stay far away from those kind of people. And I said, well, I hear what you're saying, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went right into the midst of the party because he knew he was going to influence them, not them influence him. So God started getting a hold of my heart here. I had moved into the inner city in order to be a light to people around me. And I had met a, a gentleman named Sinobio Banda. And Sinobio would have these big parties in his front yard and everyone would be drinking and there would just be, you know, this oompa music kind of music going on. But I noticed that whenever I'd see Sinobio and, and wave at him, he was really friendly to me. So I, I started building a friendship with him. And, and one day he invited me to one of his parties. Now I thought, uh-oh, I'm a Christian. I, I think I'm going to be the only Christian there. And he had rented out this big hall. He said, oh, Robert, you got to come. You know, I'm going to have this big hall and tons of food and drinks. And Stephanie and I talked about it and said, you know, we, we've got to go. So we show up to Sinobio's party. We walk in, the oompa music's going, you know, and everyone's in there. We, we, we step in. We're, we're the only Caucasian people in the whole midst, and, 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 and it's a little uncomfortable. But the second I walk in the door, Robert, you know, calls me up to the head table, sits me down with him and his family, about 100 people in this room, and, and one by one, just with pride, he's introducing me to his friend. Now, he knows I'm a pastor, but he's introduced me. Hey, this is my friend, Robert. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting person after person. I said, CB, now how many of these people are your family? He goes, oh, this, this is all my family. This is part of my family right here. hundred people, you know. But what I realized by being at the party there with him is that it made him feel valued. It made him feel loved because I had jumped into his world. You know, it wasn't two weeks later. That Sinobio came over to my house and him with his two sons and a son-in-law all prayed and gave their life to Jesus right there. It was awesome. And, and it didn't stop there. Six, within the next six months, 15 members of his family came to Christ. Why? Because Jesus was teaching us that we need to jump into the world's party in order to show people that Jesus has a better party. Now listen to me very closely. I'm not talking about straddling the fence. Hopefully you're hearing me. I'm not talking about having one foot in the world and doing one thing on the weekend and then one foot in the kingdom. No, I'm talking about ushering the kingdom in to the places where the kingdom is not already. I'm talking about going in with a vision and mission and saying, you think this party is good, but when I show up with the author of the party in me, it's going to get a lot better. Now, do you believe that? Because that's what Jesus was doing. Let's keep reading this story. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, 
Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is amazing. All the people, all the religious people are muttering. Well, Zacchaeus stands up and says, hey, look, guys, I'm turning from my old ways. I'm gonna, I, I know I've cheated, so I'm going to start giving people more money back. And I'm going to start blessing the poor. And did Jesus tell him to do that? Jesus didn't sit down and give him a lesson. But I want to tell you that when people encounter Jesus in an authentic way, he starts transforming them from the inside out. Guys, that's why we talk about get rocked by God. Because we're not telling people come into a religious system. Because religion can only dictate the outside of a person. But when someone meets Jesus in a real authentic way, it transforms them from the inside out. And so instantly, without even a sermon, Zacchaeus starts saying, I realize I'm a sinner and I need to change. Isn't that beautiful? God was changing him from the inside out. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Why does Jesus love to go to parties? Because that's where the lost are. And he came, not just for the righteous, but to get into the world of people who are far from him. And I believe he's commissioning us today to get into the world of the hurting and broken and lost around us. You guys with me today? Are you awake? I'm excited about this. Let's, uh, let's go to another scripture story that I think is going to help us out. If you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 9. Because here's another great story of Jesus breaking into someone's world. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now just make note of this for a minute, people of God. Matthew had a job that was probably one of the most despised jobs by the Jewish people, by the people of that day. Why? Because he was a tax collector. And what did tax collectors do? They could determine how much money they wanted to extract from the people. And so often they would take more money and they'd become very rich off their own people. So the people thought of tax collectors as dishonest. They thought of them as immoral. They thought of them as charlatans. They thought of them as people who were just into money and gain. And so people didn't like them. And I I, want to tell you today that there's different jobs in our, in our society that we see as a bad job or an immoral job. And, and truly they are. But oftentimes what we do is then we pigeonhole that person. We stereotype them as Christians and say that person is far from God. And they wouldn't even be interested in knowing about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? We, we look at the person's outer appearance and say that person would never come to Jesus. Look at that job. Look at what they do. Certainly they wouldn't be interested in things of the spirit. And so we don't even share with them because we don't think they would be open to it. I want to tell you throughout the life of Jesus, he's constantly breaking into people's worlds. that would seem like the last person to be a person of faith. Think about the woman at the well. 
She comes to the well in the middle of the afternoon because she's embarrassed by, to, to be seen in, in her culture. Why? Because she had, she had been sleeping with so many different men. She was living with one now that wasn't her husband. And what happens? She has an encounter with Jesus. She gets radically changed. She goes back, tells the whole city, and they all come out. She becomes one of the greatest evangelists of all time. A whole city comes to hear Jesus because of her. That's amazing. I want to tell you that some of the greatest evangelists in this church, the people that share Jesus the most, come from very broken past. They're women who've had all kinds of immoral relationships and come from broken past. They get set on fire by God and they come and they love him so much that they boldly shine a light for Jesus and many people come to faith. Think about this. Jesus met a man who was violent and angry and and cursing. And changed him into being the greatest apostle. His name was Paul. God chose a violent man to use in a mighty way, to transform in a mighty way. I I think about some of the guys in our church that come from violent gangs. And their lives have been changed. And now Jesus is using them to share the gospel all over the city and bring people into the kingdom. We, people of God, we can't stereotype And say, that person, they're not going to be open to the gospel. That person, they're too hard. They're too far away. There's never a person that's too far away to come to Christ. So Jesus, I mean, there was a guy with a legion of demons. He was a demoniac living in the graveyard. And Jesus goes, brings him into an encounter with him, into faith and ten cities. It says the Decapolis heard because of him. There's no one that's too far. We can't judge with our eyes who God is going to save and use. Let's keep reading the story. Here we go. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, once again, so Matthew gets called. He's a tax collector living in a moral life. Jesus just calls him up. He stands and goes. But instead of going, now, Matthew, come to seminary with me. He says, Matthew, the, the, the appropriate thing to do now is to throw a party. Now you're following me. We're a party in people. So throw a party and, and look at what happens. It says he saw a man named Matthew. Whoops, I've got too far back. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. So because Matthew threw a party, all of a sudden there's all these sinners gathered around Jesus. Let me ask you a question for a second. How many Christians do you know that just have sinners gathering around them? Maybe not many, but I wonder if this is what God is wanting to do in our midst. Is to change us into people that the sinners and the broken ones and the hurting ones just want to gather around. And look what it says next. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I want to tell you, if you're going to go on mission and be a purposeful partier, you need to do it in a team. You need to do it in a team. Let me, let me just ask you, who is your party posse? Okay, write that down if you're taking notes. This is very serious, very strategic kingdom work. Who is your party Posse. Let me tell you where one of the ways I saw this most powerfully used when I was a senior in college and just getting transformed by God, I was in a national fraternity and I started noticing that I really didn't like what my fraternity was doing. You know, we'd have these parties and we'd have rush and then all these young guys would come and try to get in and then we'd vote whether we thought they were cool enough to hang out with us. And I thought, now that, that is just lame. Hey, who am I to say someone's cool enough to hang out with me? That's, that's not like Jesus. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to quit this fraternity. I'm going to get out. I don't think that's very kingdom-like. And then Jesus gave me an idea. 
I felt him speaking to my heart saying, Robert, at these parties, tons of young men come and they're really needy and, and, and they have a desire to fit in. They have a desire to belong. And your fraternity brothers, a lot of them are just going to be kind of evaluating them by the outside and maybe rejecting some of them. Well, why don't you, instead of going and and seeing who the cool ones are, why don't you go and look for the ones who are hurting and needy and insecure and you go and spend time with them and encourage them and speak destiny over their lives and make them feel loved and treasured and tell them about me. So I realized I can have a secret, undercover, kingdom advancing mission in my fraternity. So I got together a few of the guys, there were about four of us that were getting transformed at that same time by Jesus. And I said, guys, I think God's calling us to go undercover at this fraternity smoker party tonight. So there are going to be people all smoking their cigars tonight. Well, let's, let's, let's us get filled up with the Holy Spirit, not cigar smoke, and let's Let's go around and look for the guys that no one else wants to talk to. And so that's what we did. And that whole night, we just had guys just talking with us. And and, and in this party, all of a sudden, we'd start telling them, you know what? You're really loved. And all of a sudden, we'd start prophesying over them right there in a party. We'd start telling them, you know what? God has a destiny over your life. There's a purpose for you. You're called to be a great man. God loves you. Some of them we started telling the gospel to. And so all of a sudden in the midst of a party, guys are hearing the good news and getting prophesied over. Now, I just want to encourage you that there are purposeful parties for you to go into where no one else is thinking about Jesus, but, but people are just wanting to talk and they're insecure. And you, you know how it is at a party, people go into parties and they, they, you know, if you don't have a red cup to hide behind, you know, you don't know what to do. And some reason we feel like if we have a cup in our hand, we can like hide, right? Like just give me a cup so I can like have something to do, you know, so you're not like just sitting there. Y'all, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you just feel like you have to do something at a party. Well, go into those places and show the love of Jesus. You be secure, you be loving, you use them to find those hurting and broken people and see their lives change. Let's keep reading this right here. It says this, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, the religious crowd is a little upset with Jesus. Why is he doing this? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Why does Jesus go to parties? Jesus went to parties because that's where the sinners were. And Jesus said, this is what my mission is. This is my activity. This is my role. So you get your party posse. And then I want you to think, church, where are the purposeful parties I can go to? Like right now, we're engaged in a lot of soccer activities. I had four soccer games to go to yesterday. But one of the soccer teams, I'm on there with the Braswell family. Kelly's our our school of transformation director. And so what what, what we have done is said, okay, who are the people that are hungry for God. They're, they're, they're seekers and let's, let's spend our time with them and, and maybe have them over for a barbecue and purposefully party with them to show them the love of Jesus. 
You know, because I, I think oftentimes we have a, a, a secular world over here, and then we th- think, well, when I come into my sacred world, in, into church, into life group, that's when I'm going to think about Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, take me with you into all different aspects of your life. I, I want to illustrate it through here in John chapter 2, if you turn with me to John chapter 2. So we've seen point number one is Jesus loves parties because he meets people right where they're at. We're about to see the second And final purpose that I want to tell you of why Jesus loves parties so much. John chapter 2, it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, just make note of that. Jesus had been invited to the wedding. I want to tell you, church, that Jesus goes where he's invited. I was telling you, sometimes we can like separate our secular lives and our sacred lives. And, and some of you in here, the reason you're here is you're saying, Robert, I, I want to draw closer to Jesus. I, I, I want to have a more intimate relationship with him. Let me tell you, one of the best things you can do is you can start inviting him into every aspect of your life. Jesus doesn't want to just go to church with you on Sundays. He doesn't want to just go to life group with you on Wednesdays. Jesus is saying, why don't you invite me into your work? Why don't you invite me into your school? Why don't you invite me on your walk to class, students? Why don't you invite me, mothers, into your time where you're feeding your kids and just trying to get that food in their mouth, right? And Why don't you invite me into every aspect? When you're going to the beach, you're inviting Jesus. When you're surfing, you're inviting Jesus. Jesus went where he was invited. In the Gospels, we always see Jesus showing up where people asked him to come. So he's at a wedding. He's at a party. Jesus and his mother and his disciples are at this wedding. And let's see what happens. It says this. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Jesus looks at her. Dear woman. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Okay, I would pay huge money to have a hidden camera in this event. Okay, because here's what happens. They're at a party. Jesus is at a party with his mom. Okay, some of you would die if you had to go to a party with your mom. Jesus is at a party with his mom. And what happens? The wine runs out. Oh no, party foul. Wines run out. And so mom comes up. And she comes up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, the wine just ran out. Now, it's not so much what she's saying is that what she's implying here. Okay. Somehow she knew, hey, when the wine runs out, my boy, he's got some powers. He can take care of this problem. Right. I, I don't, I don't quite know how she knew this because, you know, this is his first miracle. Maybe she knew it when the heavens opened up and like the voice of God spoke and a dove landed on Jesus's head. Maybe that's how she knew. But, but anyway, she knows, Hey, my boy, he's kind of special and he has some really cool party tricks. So she comes up to us and says, Hey, Jesus, the wine ran out. Now, can't you see, I, I would have loved to see the facial expression. She's like, Jesus. The wine ran out. And he's like, oh, mom. You know, he's, he's all embarrassed. Oh, mom. Come on. It's not my time yet, mom. And then I, I see Mary getting this just kind of twinkle in her eyes, all mischievous, you know. And she's like, 
No, you just do exactly what my boy tells you to do, right? And she goes over to the servants and says, you just do what he's telling you. And, and, and so what does Jesus do? This is fascinating because he actually says, woman, why are you bothering me? It's not my time. And then he turns around and he does something about it. Why? Because Jesus loves people. And I believe he can't resist to bless people when they ask and when they believe. So watch what happens next. This is awesome. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars. This is normal, ordinary water water jars. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial watching. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Hello. He turned water into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you save the best till now. Jesus didn't just show up at the party. Now, Jesus is the life of the party. I love it. Jesus is the life of this party. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first place he chooses to do a miracle is at a party. Now, now, now think about this. Now, I, I, if, if I was him, I would have done something way different. I would have calculated this. I would have been at this party and, and the wine would have run out and I would have said, whew, good thing. Now no one's going to get drunk. Aunt Matilda's not going to get up on the table and do that embarrassing Jewish dance like she always does when she's had too much wine. This is good. No one's going to crash their camel on the way home. We're not going to have any, any drinking and camel driving. There, this, this is a good thing because we had just enough party and now the wine's out. Whew, this is good. But that's not what the Son of God does. Jesus says, this isn't good that the wine's out. I'm going to make more. And it's going to be so much better. Now, now hear me, church, very carefully. I, I am not trying to make some big thing for alcohol. And the Bible's very clear about do not be drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. The point I'm making is this, is that some of us have this idea that Jesus is in heaven and he has a naughty and nice list and he spends the majority of his time just scrutinizing your every activity and that if you make a mistake, man, you just get that naughty checkbox and he is freaked out that you're going to do something bad and misrepresent him. And when I I start thinking about the kind of dad I am, I realize, you know, I'm not the kind of dad who just says, put my kids in a padded room, put them in a big inflatable suit and get them away from anything that they could get into because then they're safe. Good. Nothing's going to happen to my kids. That's not how I am. I, I, I actually let my kids do some risky activities. I let them, you know, jump off a cliff into the lake. I, I, I let my eight-year-old son shoot a BB gun. <gasps> Why? Because I want my kids to have the adventure of life. I want them to have the abundant life. I want them to say, being a Herber was fun. And here's Jesus saying, you know what? I, 
I want you to see that I want to bless you, people at this party. And I want you to know that actually my blessing is way better than anything in this world. I can take anything in the world and I upgrade it because I'm the author of the party. And here's what it says. It says, you save the best till last. Why? Why do you think? I think this is prophetic where this wine that Jesus gives is the best for last because the Bible is clear in Joel chapter 2 that in the last days he's going to pour out a spirit and, and wine in the New Testament is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And he's saying in the last days, there's going to be an outpouring in my spirit and it's going on by the way. And I want to encourage you to jump in. And if you've ever had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you know because it supersedes any experience that you have with the, the, the menial pleasures of maybe a little drink or something. And so Jesus is saying, I'm giving the Holy Spirit to you, church, and it's going to bring the abundant life. In my presence is fullness of joy at my hand are pleasures forevermore. Taste and see that God is good. So what happens after he serves up this wine? It says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here's my second reason why I believe that Jesus loved parties. My second and last point is this, is because Jesus loves to do things that bless people. Jesus loves to bless people. Why else would he do this? Because when he blesses people and he does these supernatural acts, it brings glory to himself. I, I, let me tell you a little story about how I've experienced this in my own life. After college, I went through the training school in, in our church to be a, a, equipped and discipled. It's what we've modeled the school of transformation after here at All Peoples. And I was going through it with my best friend, Robert Fuller. And Robert Fuller was going through a harder time. And so he, he would do the training school and then he was working these long hours trying to put himself, you know, just trying to put bread on his table. So he was going to work one day, pretty discouraged. And as he's driving, he looks at the car in front of him and the license plate says RLF. That was his initials, Robert Lehman Fuller. And he's like, oh, that's kind of neat. You know, how often do you see your initials on a license plate? Then he sees it again. Not on the same car, different car. And then he sees it a third time. And by now he's like, that is a real cool deal. And then he said, God, can I be so bold as to ask you that when you want to remind me that you love me, that you show me RLF on a license plate? Now, I thought this was kind of silly, but Robert would come home from work and be like, bro, I saw RLF seven times today come home the next day. I saw it eight times today. I mean, he's freaking out and we're in a city of about 150,000 people. I mean, this is not a big city. So I thought, you know what? Okay. Maybe I'll ask. So I say, Lord, can I see my initials? RMH first day, nothing. <laughs> Second day, nothing. Third day, nothing. I have never seen my initials to this day on one car. I, I've never seen them. So I said, okay, well, God, I think you love me too, like you love my roommate. Can you just show me your love? I mean, I, 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 I want to know that you love me. You did crazy things. You turned water into wine. Will you just show me that you love me? So I, I'm praying. And I'm in the training school. It's kind of a harder morning. I'm on my knees praying. 
And I said, God, do you have something that you want to show me? Just a little sign that you could just show me. You let me always be between me and you. I have this mental impression of a red balloon. And I think, okay, well, maybe that's it. You know, I always love balloons. My mom would put balloons on my chair at my birthday. And, you know, I kind of like red balloons. So I thought, well, that's pretty neat. I don't tell anyone, though. I go to the training school that day. I open the door of the office of the training school. And the whole floor is covered with about a hundred red balloons. My knees buckle. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, tears in my eyes. Robert, are you okay? <laughs> red balloons. <laughs> okay. Scott <laughs> needs help. But God was showing me his love. I, I remember not long after that, I was leading my first mission trip and I was so nervous and just saying, God, I need to know you're with me because I feel totally ill-equipped. I can't do this. I remember walking into a Wendy's on the way to the airport with my team and I, my heart's pounding and I feel overwhelmed with the responsibility and I stop in the line and I go, and I, you know how you sigh and put your head up and I'm like, Jesus, I look and directly over my head, just over my head, not on the rest of the ceiling, just right over my head is a red balloon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how many encounters I've had with red balloons. Over the, over the next years. I, I, I'd walk out of a business building. No one would know I'm there. I step out and all of a sudden a red balloon is like bouncing down the road at the exact moment that I walk out of a door. There, I, I would open up doors of, of closets. No one would know I'm about to get in this and then just be a red balloon. The other day I was hiking in the middle of the woods and in the middle of the trail is a red balloon. Okay, and, unless my dog planted it there, God is trying to show me that he loves me. I've shared this story through the years and different people have been challenged to say, God, will you show me something? And I've had different ones come up to me after hearing this message, just weeping, saying, you know, God showed me that my love sign was this. And I walked into a room and it was just full of this. Or uh, God, God gave me this. And I, God loves to bless people. Jesus wants to show you that he loves you. And I believe that's one of the main reasons that he showed up at parties. That's one of the main reasons that he even did miracles was for us to know that he is madly in love with people. And then he's jumping into our world to pursue us and to say, hey, I'm here and I want you to draw near to me because in my presence is the fullness of joy and at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. And church, I want to tell you that I believe it's imperative that we get this because when we get this, it doesn't only usher us into the, into the abundant life, but we become people who start bringing in truckloads of people into God's kingdom party. Why don't we stand up?